0: all too often we read it as if we're reading some Sunday school story. When we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, we, we read it as if, like, oh, well, that's a cute fairy tale. And if you guys were with us in the Seder meal you, just this last Sunday evening, you saw all the prophetic significance on how all the things that Jesus did when He said, let this cup pass from me. The third cup of the Passover, which is the very cup of which you and I are saved by, that's the cup. He said, this is the cup of redemption. It's in my blood, That whoever drinks it will have everlasting life and that's where we come today as we talk about what we celebrate on the day is the the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 24 and verse 1 to, to paint a little bit of a picture of what's going on on this day. In Luke 24 starting in verse 1 it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day arise again. And they remembered His words, and then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostle. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what happened. Now, I apologize in advance. I'm a little bit hoarse today. I maybe yelled one too many go big reds yesterday. Uh, But it's just like this. that When the women come running to him, after what they've seen, they experience, they go to the tomb to look for Jesus. They find nothing and they turn around and there's two angels saying, why are you looking for him here? He told you that on the third day he's gone he ain't gonna be here why are you looking for him why are you looking for the living among the dead why are you looking in the tomb and of course they're shocked shouldn't have been he told them it was gonna happen but they were shocked and they run back to the apostles and the apostles and this is the part that I love he says it seemed like they were idle tales or maybe they were just making it up that's another way to put it this isn't true okay guys you know it's a little early Maybe you need some sleep, you haven't had coffee, you didn't stop by Starbucks on your way to the tomb, that's the problem. You need a little caffeine in your system. It's idle tales to them, but you know what? The problem is, is that most of the church world today looks at it in the same manner. It's a cute story. It's a day that we come together and we, maybe we worship God and maybe, maybe we spend a little more time with family and maybe we reflect, but we don't look at the seriousness of what happened and that's... What we're going to focus on today is that we're not going to focus on the death of Jesus. That in and of itself is important. And there's all of these things that led up to that that were precursors and that were laid out ahead of time. For thousands of years the Jews waited their Messiah. Messiah been Joseph, Messiah been David. They were expecting two different Messiahs to come once instead of one that's going to come twice. And the death of Jesus baffled them. It baffled everybody. It's something that baffles people today. You know why it's so confusing, why it's hard for people to accept this as a, le- a legitimate uh, event in history? It's because people rise from the dead. Don't know about you, I've never met one. If you have, see me afterwards. Maybe it's a zombie apocalypse and nobody knows it yet. There's not a natural expl- explanation for this. There's no way you can look at it and say, oh, even doctors, if somebody is brain dead... And then they come back. They have no explanation. They can restart their heart. They can get the organs going. They can put them on machines to keep them alive. But once that person's brain dead, it's over. There's no coming back. And yet, there are, every year you read about different stories where in all they can say, we don't know. Because it's not possible. We can't. We have no explanation for this. Now imagine the apostles here. They spend all of their time with Jesus. He dies. They think it's over. They go back to life. They're doing everything that they can. And then all of a sudden, here come the ladies. And they say, you know what? He's not there. He's risen. Of course they think it's an idle tale. The reason for this is we have no natural explanation. We look at the world around us, and this natural world is as if this is the source of all information, as if there's anything, can't be anything supernatural. It's not possible. People deny the Bible and the very fact that it says things that happened, that are impossible, like people rising from the dead. Jesus wasn't the only one. He was the most important one. And so we see this. Every passage in the Bible about Jesus raising from the dead is what separates the Christian faith from all other religions. Is that our God came to die for us. Where most of the time it's a requirement that you die for your God. Jesus isn't looking for people to die for him. He's looking for people to live for him. And there's a big difference. We don't have an impersonal God. We don't have somebody that we can't talk to, that we can't worship, that we can't have a relationship with. We serve the true God. The creator of all things. And he stepped into his creation to make things right on our behalf. In 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 20 says, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. How important is the resurrection? It's the very event that gives your faith and your hope ability to believe God, that he is who he says he was, that Jesus was foreordained. And Peter was the one that just ran to the tomb. That we just read about in Luke. He was that guy. And yet here he is. We saw him. He is an eyewitness. But what if this didn't happen? What if this is some fanciful story? What if it was all made up? In a world that's full of doubt and all around us. How do we live by faith in something that we did not see? We were not there. It's asking a lot. And we're going to begin to look at some different things here. We're going to use what's called abductive reasoning. And we're going to go through and look and say, how can we explain the resurrection? Because you know what? There are people who deny it, and they have all sorts of different reasons of why they deny the resurrection. And they they explain away what happened and the things that took place. And there's two terms that we're going to use. The first one's possible. The second one is reasonable. Everything is possible. But based on the things that we see and the things around us, what is the most reasonable explanation for the reality that we live in? It's possible possible that little green men from space came down and, and put you here specifically, just you, you individually. Your mama's an alien, you didn't know it. It's possible, it's not reasonable, there's no evidence that would point to that. And so when you look at this, and you look at death and all of these things, there's basically four ways people die, right? Natural death, accidental death, suicide, and Homicide. You can look at it any way you want, and when a detective goes in and tries to figure out what is going on with this person, they have to start with these four possible causes because there is no other cause of death. It's one of those four, and based on the evidence that they see in the room that they're in, they have to explain it. Now, if, if they see a knife sitting in somebody's back, you can pretty much rule out suicide. I suppose it's possible, but it's not very reasonable, right? If they see somebody was shot in the back, you could do the same thing. But it could be accidental, I suppose. I mean, any of these things could be accidental. But if you saw bloody footprints that were walking outside of the building, and then you found the gun with somebody else's handprints on them, then suddenly we're looking at one and only one. We have to make our determination from inside the room. And so when you look at all of these different things, that's how we're going to look at this and see what is going on. Because there are, three, there are four things that everybody agrees on. As far as the death of Jesus, historians, even people that don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, they do not deny that he was a literal person in history. There are so many writings about him outside of Scripture that they cannot deny that this man existed because he existed. But when it comes to the idea of a person dying in the way of the cross, as the Romans did, this, this version of torture that they would put people on, that video we just watched, and I know it's graphic, does not do justice to what they actually went through. But it's by far the closest thing you're going to see. Jesus was absolutely unrecognizable. So when it comes to this, they all of them, skeptics, believers alike, will agree that Jesus died on the cross... And was buried. Most of them will say, "Yeah, okay, he died and he was buried." The next thing they'll do is that yes, the tomb was empty, certainly, and nobody ever produced his body. They'll agree with that. The third thing is Jesus' disciples really believed that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. That doesn't mean they believe it's true, but the disciples believed that it was true. And the fourth thing is because of that event. That the disciples themselves were completely transformed following this alleged resurrection that took place. Their lives were completely different. You look at Peter and the life of Jesus and you look at Peter in, in the book of Acts. He's a night and day different man. He's not the same guy. And so here are some things that they come up to explain what happened. Because, you know, he didn't resurrect from the dead. That doesn't happen. The first one they come up with is that the disciples were wrong about Jesus' death. He wasn't really dead. They just thought that he was dead. Skeptics offer this as a possibility. Couldn't be. Now, there's some problems with this, obviously. First of all, he certainly, if he wasn't dead, it would explain why the tomb was empty. And it would explain why they saw him, because he wasn't really dead, Right? So that part is, but one thing that we forget about is that you and I, we live in a different world than they live in then. I mean, if you walked into the room and you see somebody laying on the ground, what's the first thing you're going to do if you don't know if they're alive or dead? It's going to be one of two things. You're going to check their pulse, and you're going to listen for breathing, right? That's the way we do but what happens when somebody dies in our family? If they die in our home, say, say somebody that you love is near death and they're going to pass in the home. As soon as, as they pass, the coroner comes and takes them away, right? We don't really touch them. We don't maneuver the body. That's not how it worked back then. These guys handled death all the time. People would die. They had to take care of it. Why do you think they wrapped him in the clothes? Why do you think Mary was going to the tomb in the first place? They were going to perform some of the their rituals that go with it because everything was on. It was Passover, and it was getting into the high Sabbath, and they couldn't do anything about it. But three things that happen when, when somebody dies is, first of all, temperature loss. They get cold, right? The second thing is they get rigid. And there's something called lividity. Okay, These are all chemical reactions like rigor mortis and things like that. When the heart stops beating, all of the blood puddles down to one thing. If they're laying on their back, that's why you'll see bruising on them if you've ever, ever been around anything like that. In essence, when you look at a dead body, it looks very much like a dead body. Right? No question. I mean, it's just it's hard to deny that. Everything about it. And these guys... They weren't doctors, but they didn't need to be because Jesus' body was beaten so badly that He would have gone to what's called circulatory shock. I mean, it's just this happens when somebody's in a car wreck or anything like that, and something happens either pericardial effusion or pleural effusion. Pericardial effusion is this fluid membrane that's around the heart, builds up, Pleural effusion is the same thing around the lungs. And there's something in here, this little piece of evidence that we often don't understand, is that you saw it in that video, that when they jabbed him in the side with the spear, the blood and the water flowed out. We did not discover that until the early 1900s. It's called pleural effusion. The disciples didn't know about that. They simply wrote down what they saw happen. That was it. For years, the early church fathers were trying to make something out of this, something spiritually significant that, well, maybe the blood has to do with the atonement and water baptism and all of that for hundreds of years because they didn't know about this stuff that we know now. But what did the disciples do? They wrote down what they saw. That alone gives credibility that he was dead because that's what we see. There's all these different things that we can look at. When it comes to this, but the bottom line is dead people look like dead people. I have that line from the sixth sense going through my head. I see dead people. I don't know why. I apologize. Father, forgive me. I know not what I do. It's bad. Squirrels with knives running through my head. This is my world, folks. Okay. But but the bottom line is, is that they look they handle dead people. They're around dead people. I mean, many times people died in their early 30s and 40s. They didn't live long lives back then. They were constantly burying people. They were around them. They knew what they looked like, what they felt like. Another thing that they come up with to explain away the resurrection is that the disciples lied about it. They made the whole thing up. They ran in, they stole the bodies, put on the greatest farce in all of human history. Right? Now, this would definitely deal with the empty tomb because you explain that the disciples stole the body. And certainly the observations of the resurrection that people, you know, that they were saying that they saw him because they would be making the whole thing up. But what that doesn't account for is the transformation of the lives of the apostles. Now, if you're not super familiar with scriptures, some of that won't make sense to you. But all of these guys died for their faith, every one of them. In fact, let me read you this list. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten. Then he was crucified. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. John, uh, the guy who wrote the book of John and the book of Revelation, was boiled in oil. But that didn't kill him. So he was exiled to the island of Patmos for his faith. Okay? Judas, not the Iscariot, not the one that we see that took the 30 pieces of silver, he was stoned to death. Matthew was speared to death. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel he should be crucified in the same way that his Savior did. Philip was crucified. Simon was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Matthias was stoned to death. I mean, this, they did not have a happy ending, folks. And the thing is, is here, if you're making the whole story up, why wouldn't you just tell the truth? If you stole the body and you're going through, why are you willing to die? Now, you may be thinking, now, wait a minute. People die for their faith all the time. Look at Muslims as an example, right? They're willing to blow themselves up in the name of Allah, Allahu Akbar, the things that they say. They're willing to do that. So, therefore, people are willing to die for their faith. There's a caveat here is that people will die For something they believe is a truth, even if it is a lie, but they believe it's a truth. They do not die for a lie that they know is a lie. You see, these people believe wholeheartedly in what they're doing, that this is the truth, and therefore we must do this, and this is our way into heaven. But if you were one of the conspirators making up this whole story, that Jesus resurrected, but you knew where the body was, I'm sorry, you're not going to take that beating. You're going to give up. Somebody would have. Because in the book of 1 Corinthians, it talks about you've got the 12 disciples that all saw him and over 500 other people that saw him. And I'm telling you guys, one of them would have given up. One of them would have. You only need one to make the story not true. None of them ever did. Another one that they come up with is that the disciples were simply delusional, that they were so grief-stricken that they just thought that they saw Jesus resurrected. Okay? Okay. Now, this does not explain why the tomb was empty, right? Can't explain that away if they just thought that they saw it. And it only accounts for the resurrection experience, their their transformation at first glance. But you ever notice that when someone dies, our natural tendency is to begin to think all of the best of them, right? Even if it was somebody you didn't really like, you begin to think about the good characteristics and stuff. I remember saying when I was in high school, my freshman year, I had a good friend of mine who was killed in a car wreck. Now, this young man was not well-liked. Um, he was picked on all the time. It was bullying before bullying was a, you know, a buzzword. But, I mean, he, was just, he, he had a rough go. And so he was picked on all the time. But as soon as he was killed in that car wreck, there wasn't a student in that school that was not crying over him and talking about how great of friends they were, even though they never talked to the kid unless they were making fun of him about something. But all of a sudden everything changed. We're grief stricken. They're, they're, they're suppressing any negative emotion they would have had, and now we're grieving for this. So it's one thing to remember somebody with fondness, but it's another thing to imagine this elaborate, detailed history that never happened. That's also consistent from beginning to end. The stories of Jesus about the post-resurrection thing, the 40 days that or the the time that he was here with everybody, and all of that, all of it's consistent throughout scripture. And the writings of Paul is consistent. And the writings of Peter is consistent. I mean, if they were simply delusional, they would have to come together at some point and have this hallucination, uh, you know, say, hey, guys, this is what happened. But here's the other problem is a person may have a hallucination, but groups of people do not. There's no such thing as group hallucination that's not chemically induced. Right? Everybody's claiming to see the same thing. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, hey, go and ask any of them. Many of them are still alive of the 500 people. If they didn't really resurrect, how can that be possible? It's not. Here's another one that they come up with, that that the disciples, there was an imposter. It was a, a, a fake Jesus, bizarro Jesus. Old Superman. Okay, never mind. Tough crowd. Here we go. That he was this fake guy, looked like Jesus, sounded like Jesus, went around, convinced the disciples he was the real Jesus. Now, there's a lot of problems with that. But it would certainly account for the resurrection observations, right? Hey, we saw him. And it would also account for the transformed lives of the apostles because, hey, there he was. But there's several different things. First of all, it would require a different set of conspirators. You'd have to get more people involved because they'd have to not only steal the body, they'd have to make the body go go away. But then this imposter has to have the same scars because, remember, Thomas saw the scars, put his fingers in the hands and uh, the nail holes and all that kind of stuff. Number one. Number two, he's got to sound exactly like Jesus. These guys spent every day with this man for three years. Every day. It's like when when your husband or your wife calls you up. They're not like, you know, if it's Paul calling Sherry, like, hey Sherry, this is Paul. She she knows his voice. Now she may regret that at times, but she knows his voice. She knows what he sounds like. You don't have to sit there and it's like, oh, who is this? Paul who? She says that, they're going to have a different conversation. They know what He sounds like. They know what He looks like. They know His teaching. His teachings after the resurrection are the same as they were before. He's giving them final instructions before He goes away. I mean, this is just so much nonsense, it's unbelievable. And then this guy would have to be so familiar with the mannerisms, the statements, and everything to convince the disciples. Everything. I mean, it just it doesn't work. It's not possible. Okay? Well, here's another one. This is one of my favorites. Disciples were influenced by limited spiritual sightings. Now, this is a new one that's recently come out. Um, it's interesting. That one or two disciples kind of had this vision of Jesus that he resurrected, and uh, he, he went around and he kind of convinced everybody else that, you know, oh, hey, guys, we saw this. Oh, well, then we saw it too. Now, you see some of that stuff because you notice when, when there's uh, an accident or something, they try to get the witnesses separated, So that their stories don't begin to get meshed. Because there should be some different things. Because you're going to see something a little different than I would see something. And so they don't want it all together. That's why they separate them. But there's problems here. Because it might explain some of the transformation in the lives of the apostles, certainly. But it does not explain the empty tomb. And if this is the case, then the explanation in Scripture would be inconsistent with the resurrection versus what happened. So it's possible for someone to persuade a few people, but it's not reasonable to think that they're going to persuade everybody. Over 500 people. Some of the other ones that come up, the the disciples' observations were later distorted and they made Jesus more than what he was. Now that is complete and utter nonsense. Because they'll accept the fact that Jesus may have been a wise teacher or something like that, but that was about the extent of it. He was kind of some sage of some sort. And this might account for the empty tomb, assuming that the body was taken away, but it does not explain the early claims of the apostles that were related to the resurrection. There were some of them that were just so um, accurate. The earliest accounts of the disciples' activity after the crucifixion it's seen cited of Jesus in several different sources. And the students of the disciples themselves record the exact same story. It's called the transfer of information. They write down origin as an example. The name is an early church father in the 100s. He was a disciple of John. John, his story of the resurrection is the exact same one that we see in Scripture. And you continue to see that thing trans- transferred for years and years and years. The disciples have the story right. I mean, you begin to look at all of these different things that are possibilities, certainly. There's certainly possibilities. But not one of them gives a reasonable explanation based on all the evidence that we see when we look at the things of Jesus, of what's going on in his life, and what happens in this resurrection account. And then you've got the apostles who are never again the same, and every one of them willingly laid down their lives for this man, for this story. And if they were making it up, that would not have happened. Leaves us with just one possible conclusion that disciples were reporting exactly what they saw because it explains the empty tomb it explains all the observations of everybody that saw everything that's claimed in scripture it it, it explains the transformation of the apostles lives and how they were forever changed in the mission you've got Paul as an example who was a Pharisee and he was a, a higher up in the world of the, the, we'll call it the church world of the time. That's not what it was, but that's for our understanding. That's basically what it was. And so all of that's going on. Paul gives all of that up after a supposed vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on a mission to kill Christians. He had the blessing of the Sanhedrin, which was the high court in that day. And as he's heading out on his mission, Jesus appears to him and his life's forever changed his entire mission changed now he's going around and growing the church how does that happen unless it was true the problem is that people can't accept this is because the believe in this requires the supernatural because there is no other explanation so we've got several truths the tomb in which Jesus was buried was certainly discovered empty but there's another problem who was the one that discovered it the women Now today, not a big deal. Back then, big deal. Very big deal. Because women did not, they were not considered um, viable witnesses. Let me read you a couple of, of quotes here from a man named Josephus. I think I've got this up there. Do I have that? Yep. But let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of their levity and boldness of their sex, nor let servants be admitted to give testimony on account of the ignobility of their soul, since it is probable that they may not speak truth either out of hope of gain or fear of punishment. This is Josephus. He was an early uh Roman historian, he was a Jewish man. He was authorized by the Romans to write down the history of the church. Or excuse me, I should say the history of the Jewish people, not the church. Here's another one right out of the Talmud, which is a Jewish book. Any evidence which a woman gives is not valid to offer. Also, they are not valid to offer. This is equivalent to saying that one who is rabbinically accounted a robber is qualified to give the same evidence as a woman. Okay? Interesting. Here's another one. Sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women. Not well thought of. At all. Why are the women the ones If you were making this story up, then you're going to be the one that goes and finds him and sees him there, right? But it's not the women. And, and, and the other thing, the problem you have is, is with the whole account, even in the day that Jesus is dying, is that Peter, who is, is dictating basically to Mark, Mark's writing down what Peter's saying in the book of Mark, but he makes himself look to be foolish. Now, if you're writing a book about yourself, remember, you're always the hero. You're the good guy. You don't talk about how you deny Jesus even to a little girl. You don't do it three times. You don't, you don't talk about that. You leave that part out. You talk about how, you know, you were the, the superhero and you saved a cat from a tree on the way to see Jesus and all this other stuff. But, but that's not what happened. You've got all of these things that point to the, the idea and the resurrection. All these eyewitnesses, over 500 people. And when we talk about this today and we look at the life of Christ and the life of the disciples, there's several things that are going on here. I mean, first of all, they had to believe what they saw. And based when you look at everything, the most reasonable explanation of all of this is that it is the truth. This is an event that went down in history because they have the records of Jesus really dying on the cross outside of Scripture. And then we get into the idea, we talk about the gospel. We're always talking about what is the gospel and you ask somebody, ask almost anybody, they're going to say, well, the gospel is the good news. It's like, oh, okay. Well, what is the news and why is it good? And honestly, more often than not, they don't know where to go from there. But as I've talked about several times, I've referenced this passage it's in First Corinthians 15. I want to read this for you. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's talking about, I declare the gospel, right? Okay, here we go, verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one by one born out of due time. Now, let's pause there for a minute. First of all, what is the gospel? That Christ died according to the scripture. He was in the grave for three days, and then he resurrected again, according to the scriptures. Why is it according to the scripture? Because all of this was prophesied thousands of years before any of this ever transpired. It was all according to the scriptures, number one. Number two, then he talks about the witnesses, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, it was over 500 people at once. Mass hallucination. Doesn't happen. Then it goes to James. James was his brother. Did not believe that he was the Son of God. He just thought he was somebody else. And then after the resurrection, James becomes the, the lead apostle in the church of Jerusalem and ends up giving up his life for it. And he didn't even believe that he was anything other than his brother. Imagine it in your shoes, right? Right? Your brother's stupid, just like my brother's stupid. That's the way it works. They're all stupid, right? I mean, imagine that household. You talk about like envy of quality there anyway. But look at verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What's he talking about? He was out there killing Christians, trying to shut the the movement. They called it the way. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Same stuff we see today. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that, we ra- that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men of the most pitiable If Jesus didn't literally rise from the dead, then we are false witnesses, spreading a false gospel and spreading lies about everything. And you are still in your sins. And everybody that died before you, so are they, because it's all a lie. If that doesn't happen, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. It's referring to Adam. The first Adam brought sin, into the world, and death, and sickness. But Jesus came to take that away. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit. Afterwards, those who are Christ that is His coming. Then comes the end, when He delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father. When He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For He has put all things under His feet. But when He says all things are put under Him, it is evident that He who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Folks, this is the gospel, and this is what we are here to celebrate today: is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't leave us with a lot of options when you begin to look at everything, at the day that that happened, and all that's gone on since. So this whole world was turned upside down by the death and resurrection of one man, the Son of God. And it tells us a couple of things. Is number one, that God exists, certainly, because people don't rise from the dead. We have no other explanation in anything because it will require something bigger than nature itself. So it's the only thing is possible. But you know what it does? Another thing is that there's tons of religions out there. And there's a movement out there saying, hey, can't we all just coexist? Can't we just all get along? But the bottom line is, is it's either truth or it's a lie. There is no in-between. There are not such a thing as a multiple truth. There's no way something can be half truth. It's either a truth or it's a lie. And it tells us exactly that Christianity isn't just some other world view. It isn't a set of do's and don'ts. It isn't some sort of philosophical position. It is the truth. And Jesus himself claimed that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father except by me. And he said, if you don't believe my words, then believe on the miracles themselves. And the greatest miracle that he performed was the resurrection from the grave it tells us one more thing is that there's a promise of heaven for all of us that believe in him but it tells us that there is life after death because if the resurrection is true then jesus actually returned from the dead what was he doing well he told his john and disciples in john 14 says i go prepare a place for you and i'll come again and i'll take you to myself that where i am there you may be also And Jesus in and of Himself can testify that, yes, there is something past this life. There's so much more than what we could go through today. But if the resurrection is true, then life continues after death. The question is, where are you going to spend it? Because the options are either, yes, I will follow Him. I will go the way that Jesus Himself said is is true. Or I'll try to guard my own path and see if I can work it out for myself. And we can't do that. We can't. It's not possible. Jesus Himself said that there is no other way to the Father but by me. And we follow that same path as Him. And if you're in here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm not talking about saying some prayer at some Sunday school. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not even talking about which church you may attend or lack of church you may attend. I'm talking about saying, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. I believe in You. I will make You the Lord and Savior of my life. And from here on out, I will live my life exclusively for You. If you've never done that, that is the only way that you can have the promise of eternal life and the promise of salvation. Our hope lies on this very resurrection fact, the thing that we are here to celebrate today, that without that there is no hope and all is lost. Before you leave today, I would encourage you, is that if you're not right with God, get right with God. You need someone to pray with you, that's fine. We'll pray with you. Come up here afterwards. Come talk to me. But my goodness, don't leave here without knowing. You never know what tomorrow's going to be.